0: Hi guys, how's it going? Scotty from scottsbassessons.com and today I've got something super, super special for you. Today is the 50th episode of the SBL podcast. Episode 50. I can't believe we've even got here. I can remember it was just a seed of an idea. I think we did 12, I think the initial run was 12 And then we were trying to figure out whether we were going to carry on. Obviously, we did carry on because now we're on episode number 50. But I just want to give a massive shout out to all you guys that have been tuning in each and every week, listening to these great podcasts and a huge shout out to all the guests that have been on as well, because obviously without them guys and them girls, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't be able to put these these podcasts out every week. So just as a bit of a celebratory episode, we thought it'd be cool to just do a bit of a roundup of some of the past episodes uh, that we've been putting out, some of my favourite bits, and hopefully you'll really enjoy them too. So without further ado, let's get into this week's podcast. And first up, we've got the amazing Victor Wooten one of my favorite albums like you do you know you've obviously got like serious chops on it but it was a um, the album that you did the trio album with steve smith and mm, scott, Henderson. scott Anderson. yeah you know that's one of my favorite yeah. albums uh, that you. you played on I absolutely loved it because there was there was the chops but there was just some killing thank bass you. playing on thank there you. as well you know thank you
1: well um, i mean i that's what i do even though i solo a lot if you really listen to it 90% of it, even with Baylor Fleck and the Fleck Tones, 90% of the time I'm playing bass. It's line, bass you know?
0: lines, isn't it?
1: Yeah. But people pay attention to the soloing, you know, which I don't mind that, but it ends up causing people like me to not get called for bass playing. For bass gigs, right. Yeah, gigs, yeah. recordings, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I'm always so excited when I finally get called to play the bass. <laughs> yeah. I got called. What do you want me to do? Root and fifth all night. <laughs> yeah. I got a recording session from a well-known, uh, like, you know, kind of, I didn't even describe him, just a, a kind of popular artist yeah. from the 70s and 80s. I got a phone call to do a session because he was looking for a specific thing. And I asked the guy on the phone, I was like, what does what he want, a solo? He's like, no, no solo. I was like, really? You know? <laughs> the same thing with this great singer I like, a, a woman named India R.E. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I got a yeah. to do a, a, a song for her. Oh really? Okay. And the producer just wanted the connection between this drummer and me, right? Okay, yeah. I was like, and I knew this producer. I was like, yeah. no solo, no solo. Yes, yeah, just <laughs> <his> bass. Yes. <laughs> you know, I love it. I mean, that's yeah, how yeah, I yeah, grew yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. when the Flectones hit, I became known as the soloist. Yeah, yeah. You know, because all of a sudden now I had a worldwide audience. Yeah, I was in Bass Player magazine three years straight on the back cover with yeah. this company. And I became known for that. And there's a blessing and a curse. I have yeah. a career because of it. Yeah. But there's a lot of opportunities I don't get because of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. so I like to just send that out to to all of us chopsters. Yeah. That <laughs> more, even more than we show the chops, we need to show that we can play bass. Yeah. That we can support, that we can listen, that we know how to play behind a singer. We need to know how to do that. So I love players like you know, like uh, listening to um, Pino Palladino, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah, and yeah. some of these newer guys that are doing the work now. That some of the older guys like Bob Babbitt and, and Chuck Rainey yeah, yeah, and yeah, Jamerson. Yeah, yeah. There's a whole newer batch of people, Lee Sklar and uh, Pino, and their guys and, and Daryl Jones and Marcus. Yeah, it's yeah, people yeah, that yeah. everybody wants. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, like Marcus. Marcus has more chops than most of us get to see. Really? But he's smart about it. <laughs> he's smart about it. Marcus yeah. will take a solo, and it's built around the bass line. Yeah. And he'll get fancy a little bit, you know. But, but he's aware. Oh my goodness! Yeah, yeah. he's he's smart about it. Because
0: you've been on tour with Marcus, Marcus and Stanley, Stanley, didn't he? You yeah, did the trio thing, heroes. didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What a yeah. treat. Man, that was, was that strange when you actually initially hooked up? Yeah. And was it one of you guys that initiated it, or was it a sort of like an what? outside force that th- th- thought you guys it, needed it, to It hook was up?
1: the outside force that finally solidified yeah. it. Yeah. But I had been dropping these hints with Marcus and Stanley. Because when I saw Paco de Lucia, John McLaughlin, yeah, yeah, and Al Demiola yeah that's do true, that trio, yeah, I was yeah. like, I want to do that with yeah, bass players. Yeah. Who would I want to do it with Stanley and Marcus? Yeah. So as I as my name started to grow to where we started to know each other, and usually I would only see them at the NAM show or yeah, something yeah. like that. Or if they came to now where I was living, Nashville, I would go see them. Yeah. But every time I would mention to <clears> them, <throat> Stanley, you and me and Stanley should do something. Yeah. You know, and okay, sure, yeah, we should. I'd see Stanley, Stanley, Marcus, you and me, we should do something. Okay, okay. You know, that would happen a lot. But it wasn't until Bass Player Magazine in the U.S. was going to give Stanley a Lifetime Achievement Award. Yeah. And for some reason, they asked Marcus and me to present the award to him.
0: And that's when it kind of... That's when it
1: happened. We got on stage and played School Days. uh, Stanley asked us to play School Days with him. And during Soundcheck, without rehearsal, we just started playing it, and it was, like, perfect. Yeah. Because those guys... Are such musicians, you know? If Stanley's up here, Marcus goes down here. I find the middle. Yeah. yeah. If Marcus comes up here, I'll drop. And Stanley, you yeah, know. everybody's thinking the and same. And I was yeah. like, wow, yeah this is n- no work. So, in the interview, once that magazine came out, I'm reading the article and Stanley saying, "Oh yeah, you know, we're going to be doing this recording and then we're going to tour." And I'm like, really? You know, he start he's laying out this whole plan of what yeah, we're yeah, going to yeah, do yeah, with yeah, Stanley yeah. and Marcus and me. I called him. I'm like, Are you really? What's <laughs> happening? This? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, let's do it. Next up, we've got
0: Juan Halderetti, uh, who was kind enough to let us into his studio over in LA and and hang out with us for a couple of hours. So let's get into it, dude. Like when you were coming up as a bass player, what were your main influences? Where did you like draw upon? And what do you think is if you were to sort of like point at a few players? who really, like, moved your bass playing and sort of, like, really got ingrained in your style, who would that be?
2: I mean, I think I think that's one of the things that people always maybe would not guess wrong, but whatever, they may think I have a certain guys that I'm into, but, um, like, you know, and it changes because you're a kid and, and your life evolves, and so what is your favorite? Like, I don't have, like, a dude who is, maybe Jamerson is probably the only dude that's, like, pretty much... Been an influence through everything I've ever done, and that's just because when I was a kid, my 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 uh, my cousins used to listen to so much Motown, and I would just I just loved. Just ingrained in you. Yeah, yeah. it just is. And then and then um, of course I love Jonesy. So Led Zeppelin. I'm sure everybody who listened to Zeppelin record had to say he was an influence. And Wilson was was for sure super into the Who. Um, And then you know as it evolves. You know, it definitely was influenced by Jocko, but later on, like I wasn't into him in Weather Report and stuff. Not that to say I'm not into it now, but I did. I just it was over my head music, and I was still in rock. Yeah. And it wasn't until the '80s that I started really getting into him. Um, but Jocko definitely was. Mick Karn was one. Um, Later on, like in the nineties, I started finding his music and I'd heard of Japan, but like I loved Dolly's car and the way he played fretless on it. So huge influence on me. Just like just such unbelievable originality in his playing. You know, Peter Hook, Joy Division, of course. I was a humongous U two fan. I saw Really, yeah, yeah. I saw U two on their second tour in the United States. Yeah. They played the Warfield Theater Is that in that when San they did Francisco. Red Rocks? Huh? Is that when they did Red Rock? So that was after before before yeah yes it was october tour when that you know it was like oh, right, yeah, yeah. they had just started touring on october and I, I that was one of my favorite concerts in my life still to this day i was oh, one of those life-changing eventually like, yeah. i stopped liking too. like I, I you know like i liked the first four records and then it would be hit and miss but they'd still put out something like oh that's cool and you know whatever but i loved adam clayton's just simplicity um killing joke again i had mentioned earlier but killing joke was a huge influence on me um but van halen eddie was a big influence on me and all the shred like i didn't listen to any shredder bass players i listened to eddie so you know you get stuff from different instruments and then uh and then it just keeps growing like it just evolves over time you know like I, i i'd have to say i if i go back to anybody it's always jameson it's always John Paul Jones, uh, it's Jocko, it's Mick Karn, um, David Sims, who plays bass in The Jesus Lizard, was a humongous yeah. influence on me. Um, Did the fretless come from 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 come from Khan?
0: Because uh, if it, I was like, if I just sort of like picture you, I picture you with
2: the fretless. I don't, it's just, you know. It was Jocko, but I didn't know how to, I was like, I knew, I kept going, man, I'm, I'm learning how to play fretless. I think I am sound pretty good on it, but I kept thinking like but I'm not going to do fusion. Like, yeah. I don't want to do fusion. Like, How am I going to use this? And I had, you know, found his Joni Mitchell records. I was like, well, that's kind of cool. But I'm like, but I'm not going to do that kind of music. Like, what am I going to do with this fretless? And then Mick Karn came along. And then I was like, oh, new no way. It. Bingo. <laughs> and then I was yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, you know, Big Sur was like our interpretation of maybe like Joni Mitchell's Jocko record mixed with Mick Karn and Dolly's car. And, and then... Maybe with a little bit of like whatever was happening at the time, but hip hop because we it's a lot of drum loops. Yeah. So yeah, it was all that. So we, you know, I I really kind of formulated my fretless sound, and I really believe that my my strongest voice as a musician is in the fretless. It's not in fretted. Because um, that's the year when you were playing with the Mars Volta. You know, you played. I used a lot, fretless fretless, yeah, a lot of fretless in Mars Volta. Yeah, yeah.
0: And is it, would you say that that's sort of like your? You love really is that you. you know you kind of and when i pick it up it. is if that I, what you hear in your head yeah. when you're listening to it you know. if
2: i grab the fretted and i started playing you guys are like all right cool and if i started playing fretless you guys would be like whoa that's what yeah i've had really like yeah. really good jazz musicians hear me play and they'd come up to me and they go that's your voice yeah, like, yeah they'll yeah. just or you need to play that all the time yeah because yeah, yeah. it's that's that thing that I, I don't i didn't grow up playing jazz but that's that thing that they're all looking for is their Whatever it is that is your soul, your voice, when you put it out the world, and mine just happens to be fretless. I just—it's just not unfretted.
0: And and do you like if you say you're playing a fretted on on a, on an album? Is that a choice? Is that your choice, or just do you sometimes just think this really needs a fretted? Or is, does somebody say, you know, do you want
2: to try a fretted on that? when we were doing Mars Volta records, you know, Omar, if I if I wanted to try it, he'd let me. Yeah. And then you know, if sometimes he would be into it, and sometimes he wouldn't, because they they don't play fretless, so they can't envision what it would sound like. And I also don't, you know, I did this one recording with this guy, uh, uh, what's his name, Hula singer, Crispian Mills. Crispian, wow, yeah. yeah, I played yeah, on some fast. stuff yeah, with yeah, him yeah. and the drummer from Portishead. Yeah, and I broke out the fretless, and they were like, whoa, like. Clive and Crispian were like, I don't know. And then I said, Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. And I, and Mario called Donald Jr. was doing this, producing the session. And he goes, No, let this kid do it. He's like, It won't sound like what you think it's going to sound. Yeah. And so I played it. And Crispian was listening to it. And he goes, You know, he goes, If it had any more vibrato on it, I would have said no, but it has the perfect amount. And yeah, so, yeah, yeah. you know, like I, I started getting to be known as a guy who can really have a sound with, with, with the, the fretless. Yeah. yeah. Okay, next up, we've got part of the interview with Hadrian Faroe, and again, this
0: was in LA, and we actually were hanging out on a beach, so if you can hear a band in the background at any point, it's because there was some buskers down the street. Anyway, let's get into it. And the first thing that really stood out to me when listening to you was your harmonic approach when soloing, and your time feels, but talking about harmonic approach... Yeah. Was it was it listening to like Garrison and Dominic? Was yeah. that a lifting point for for what you know what you developed and Gary the, Willis and all those? Yeah, but yeah. then,
3: but the must thing is like that, that that was on my young days, on uh, so on my young days on learning harmony. So yeah. I would say starting from seventeen to twenty, I I was a lot still a lot into those bass players, but after twenty after twenty years old, I started checking guitar players and I started getting into Sylvain-Luc de Pirelli, uh, and piano players yeah. and, uh, sax players and Michael Brecker a lot, Yeah, yeah, yeah you yeah. know, uh, and I think that, uh, uh, that, th- that was, uh, my ar- ar- harmonic approach comes from that. I mean, there's nothing new and uh, every time, you know, I'm always, uh, sometimes embarrassed when somebody, uh, I mean, even like you, you know, you really like what I do and, you know, yeah. thanks a lot. <laughs> but to me, uh, to me, I, I always re I, I, I remember exactly where each note I play comes from. Okay. I mean, How yeah, yeah, it yeah. has become my where, own. Where a you've bit, learned but, it, where, where, I know where exactly, it's been drawn from. Yeah. yeah. And, and I know also that I did not create anything and that I'm using, you know, mostly basics of music. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Jazz, obviously, but, uh. i I, I prefer to say music because uh i don't want to label it but uh, yeah yeah yeah. but basics of harmony you know it's just there i mean that's another topic but yeah most of the time i i don't have a harmonic approach besides just playing the right scale that matches the chord that you know that's being yeah 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 yeah. if it's uh it's if it's a a sus chord then I'm going to play the the right scale, the right scale, and scale the over right the, the sus chord yeah yeah and you know it's really important because that's what young players uh, you know they do they do often is like trying to go out before they actually know exactly what's to play in uh, what's the the route, you know yeah 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 and that's what I was doing first also did you learn harmony from somebody mm-hmm. did you learn harmony from somebody I got a few information here yeah. and there by asking and by watching a lot also you know people like Dominic uh in clubs and uh people uh, like Borelli a lot I would go see him when you know I would get you know and Borelli didn't play in clubs for a long time at the time so he was more in like theaters and stuff like Re- that I remember gigs, being yeah. completely what can come out of somebody like that's that's what I aim at like yeah. when it's at this level of musicianship of uh it's really important to mention that because, you know, people sometimes, uh, think about the, the shredding. Yeah. But what I saw already, and it's like for Jacko also, the first thing I want to mention is that the first time I heard him was not so, I was not so much, I was impressed by his technique obviously, but, but what touched me a lot at the time was the whole approach and concept and harmonic concept but also composition concept, like in a placement, and yeah. the tone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The
0: technique is, is obviously... Was, uh, well, t- your time feel for me is like really unique.
3: Well, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, no,
0: I think you've got a great time, like, well, obviously you've got a great time feel, but I think when, when I listen to a bass player, that it. really stood out for me your 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 time feel is that something you you worked on specifically and or is it something that you noticed in other players yeah like jacko did you think oh, wow i love his time
3: field and his placement of the notes uh you know it's funny because every time i would see uh i would uh, just watch somebody and uh, i understood that really i would watch a musician that i that i look up to and i could relate right away to his rhythmical at least the rhythmical thing yeah harmony came after because harmony you not as easy Rit- r- rhythm is is a uh, you know how do you call that it's primitive It's the first music the fun- ever. yeah 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 so rhythm is kind of uh, you you have it or not and so you know they would do rhythmical figures and i was like yeah oh yeah i understand this yeah. i could i could have you know, really I related. I could, I, it, could yeah. I could understand this. So rhythm, I didn't even think about rhythm. My, my obsession was really the harmon, harmony. Yeah. Like how, how the hell do they, do they think about that? Like how the hell do they hear that? And then I understood that first of all, something that can help is learning the modes. Yeah. And already when you, when you're playing a mode, it's already a uh, very, very uh, pretty. Yeah. So from there you can be inspired in like changing the, the, you know the, the the how do you say changing the notes around like you know not the notes yeah but, like, yeah, yeah yeah but the, the intervals playing in different intervals over there that's it I mean that, that's my whole approach I always say there's no approach. <laughs> Next up, we've
0: got the amazing Andrew Goucher, who was kind enough to enri- invite us around his pad and hang out. And, uh, and we got to meet his, uh, his dog, Spider-Man, as well, which, for me, honestly, was one of the uh, highlights of the trip. Let's get into it. But, when, you know, when I think of you, mm-hmm. I do associate, associate mm-hmm. you with yeah, six-string. Yeah. When did you first get into that? Because, obviously,
4: you've come well, up through you know, when, when there wasn't any six-strings. Right. You know, When I started, there was no such thing as a five-string bass. Yeah. But, and, I, and also, you know, I tuned down a whole step. And that came from... where did that come from? A lot of people, because a lot of cats do it, but they don't realize where it came from. It came from the bass. You only have four strings, it only went to E. And what really inspired me to do it was Robert Wilson on uh, the Gap Band song "Yearning." Yeah. He's doing this. He had his bass tuned down. Uh, to a low B. Yeah. And in gospel a lot of songs are in E flat, A flat, a lot of flat keys. Yeah. And it just has it used to piss me off to come up here to play E flat. And it just doesn't have that. Yeah. yeah. And it's just the Yeah, the booty just went away. You yeah, know? yeah. yeah. And, and Joel Smith, my good friend, he tuned down to E flat. And so I wanted to be lower than Joel. So I tuned down ah. to And that's where it came from. So well, I started doing. I get asked these questions yeah. so many. Why do gospel play? Why, why are they tuning down? But you, it's you guys. It. But I'm going to tell you, a lot of people uh. do it, man. And once they hear it and hear how it just sits like this, just a, a different kind of warmth when a bass is tuned down. Yeah, yeah, know? different vibe to the notes. I'll never forget the first time. Well, I got my first five string in 85. Uh, it was a Yamaha BB five thousand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thing. The neck was like this narrow, yeah, yeah, yeah. but um, and I remember when I got that bass, I tried to tune back up, but I didn't realize that because I have perfect pitch, my ears had gotten used to my E string being a D. Okay, yeah, And yeah, yeah. so I was playing with the wine. Was it just like? Complete oh, was it, bit, it was already yeah. messing me up because I hadn't got used to the B string, the new string here. Yeah. So I would think I was hitting the E string, and I'd be playing. I was, and I, what I did was I didn't practice. I was on tour, so I just went right out on tour, and I was playing with the Wyndes. And I remember to turn around looking at me, what the <laughs> "What's he doing?" Because <laughs> I was mutilating the song, man. But it took me probably about a month to get comfortable, and then. I realized that I was used to the, the tuning down, so I yeah. just tuned back down, and I yeah. never, I never changed from that. And uh, so you're completely used to all the notes yeah, being, yeah, a well, I mean, This down, is yeah. your F sharp, yeah, but it's my E. If right, I hit this okay, note, yeah. don't hear E. Like, it, and sometimes even when I go sit in and play somebody else's bass, I have to tune it down before I play it. Yeah, because I cannot. Yeah, yeah. I'm totally I mean, I'm brain under, gymnastics for yeah, you trying to play yeah, a regular, I can't kind play of a song. Bass, yeah, the yeah. Bass is tuned standard, so
0: so anyway. it was all from. Playing a
4: four-string, wanting those deeper notes,
0: getting used to that tone and the vibe, and then the five-strings came along. And I think that was
4: probably the beginning of me developing my sound, because I started being known for my sound. And I I think doing, people ask me that. Every time I play, my playing to me is like doing a record, you know, because I've done a million records. And when I hear my bass, when I'm playing with a band, I want it to sound like a record. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of guys, and see a lot of guys make this mistake. Like you go in the music store, you sit there in front of an amp and you play it, and then you, and then, but then you get it home and you don't like it when you're playing because you're not doing it in an actual game time environment, yeah, yeah. you know? And that's why it's taken me a long time, but I, I know what I want to hear. I know the frequencies, like my favorite mid uh, treble frequency is 6K. Okay, yeah. Like yeah. I put 6K in and I'm good. My bass frequency is one hundred. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. And then I like to be able to to vary my mid range. Yeah. You know, um, you know exactly what gives you the sound. A that lot you're of times looking times, I like to scoop one to three k. Yeah. You know, people. I've, you know, I've heard a lot of criticism about it, but when you listen to all these records I've done and listen now, my bass sounds on these records it's like it's sitting where it's supposed to sit. Yeah,
0: you know that's you know? your yeah. signature sound. When I think about, it, I think yeah. about that like that little yeah. mid scoop. Yeah. You know, and it yeah. give, and and then yeah. all the people that have you know all the players that have come after you, you know, all have that. And every time I hear that sound, I'm like, you know, just, you know, they've heard you and they're trying to emulate that sound. Next up, guys, we've got Nick West, who seems to be always on tour at the minute. Every time I check my Instagram account, she's doing another gig in another part of the world. But anyway, uh, let's get into the interview.
5: Being around just great musicians that, I mean, for me, they just let me play. Like Gucci, he was one of the first people that I met when I moved to L.A., so he had a, a jam that he used to do, I think, twice a month.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was telling us about it the other day. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yeah. And he invited me to that. And I was so scared to play. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm not playing. I'm just going to sit at the bar and watch because Nick West ain't nobody yet. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And he's like, Nick West is in the house. Come up. So, I mean, he was the very first person that kind of kind of took me under his wing a little bit. And supported
0: you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
5: Was yeah. that cool? It oh. was really cool because then, you know... A, what, three years later, we ended up both playing for Prince. Yeah. And we were, like, at Paisley Park at the same time and, you know, talking about the same thing. He's like, man, when I first met you, you were so wet behind the ears. <laughs> I'm like, I'm still wet behind the ears, you know. <laughs> How did the Prince thing happen? Um. Okay. 2012. 2012. I was watching his video called Rock and Roll Love Affair. Yeah, yeah. And... literally sitting there watching the video on my laptop and I'm like whoa Prince has a new music video and he's actually in the video okay let me check this out so I took my computer over to my friend's house I'm in Phoenix took the computer over to my friend's house I'm like look yo Prince is doing some something new and he's just like yeah that's cool he's like you should be in that video too and I'm like "Mm, that would be nice huh (laughs) that would be cool I kid you not my phone kept ringing I'm like I don't know who this number is so I'm not going to answer it
0: not the day
5: the same day. It was eleven o'clock at night. I remember the day like it was yesterday.
0: Have you heard of like visualization? Anyway, that's a conversation for a different time. But it's
5: true. I, I yes, that this November. tends to happen to me. It's, it's very strange. But that's for a different conversation. We different don't want to
0: freak everybody. Out. We don't want to freak everybody. Yeah, out. we don't want to. Work. But it's. But right. you know, check it out if you Yeah, yeah yeah, <laughs> right. yeah, yeah. Anyway, so the phones are
5: Phones ringing. I'm not answering it. I don't know who it is. And then so I leave my friend's house and I'm like, I got in the car and I was like. Let me call this number back. Let me see who this was. So I got ready to call the number back, but then the phone rang again. And I answered it. I'm just like, hello? It's like, hello, is uh, can I speak to Nick West? And I'm like, yeah, this is her. I'm wondering who's calling at midnight? Who is this? And then he's just like, this is Prince. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, no, really, who is this? Yeah. He didn't respond to that. He didn't even like answer my question. He just like, I just wanted to know if you wanted to come to Paisley Park and Jam. And I'm like, yeah, I wanted to say no. (laughs) Why? Because I wasn't ready. I'm like, every time something (laughs) big happens for me, I feel like I'm not ready. Yeah,
0: yeah. You want to be like, give me two months and then just practice like crazy. Exactly,
5: exactly. But then my mom told me she's like serendipity. Yeah. When the student is ready, the teacher appears. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're ready. So just go. So I was like, um, tomorrow. So he's like, how soon can you get here? I'm like, uh, Tomorrow. So he flies me out the next day. But before that, I didn't sleep because I'm like, I have to learn all these Prince songs because I only know like two and he's <laughs> going to ask me to play them and I, I can't look stupid. Right? Did he
0: did he give you any tunes to learn? Was there any kind no. of like, no, you were just, you know, preempting it. You were like, Thinking I'm just going to cool all yeah, Yeah, yeah,
5: yeah. Right. So then I go the next morning and I'm playing and everything with the band like, Like, I'm playing, just getting crazy, right? And, you know, doing my wild thing like I always do. He hadn't gotten there yet, so I was comfortable. Then all of a sudden, the band stops playing, and they all start cracking up. I'm like, what's going on? What's going on? And then I feel a tap on my shoulder, and I turn around, and I'm like, oh, my God, it's Prince. (laughs) And so um, he's just like, okay. um," Long story short, goes over to the piano, and he says, "Uh, let's play something. I was like, all right. I'm thinking
0: whole band's there, the whole band's there. Whole band
5: there. Well, yeah. so no part pressure. Of, part of the band, <laughs> yeah, is there. no pressure. Yes, right. part of the band is there, and so I'm like, okay, um, yeah, let's play something. And so he sits <laughs> down at the right piano. Yeah, I'm yeah. nervous, like are you I'm like, so nervous. Are you dying I'm inside? cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, it's cold out there, and so um, he gets down at the piano and starts playing, and he's just like, "Do you know a uh, Sly?" Sly and the Family Stone, thank you for letting me be myself. And I'm just like, yeah. But in my mind, I'm like, but I didn't come here to play that because <laughs> I learned these Prince songs. I'm assuming you're going to ask me to play Sly and the Family Stone. And he's just like, yeah, okay, okay. I, I just said that in my mind. I didn't yeah. tell him that. And I'm like, yeah, 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 I know that. He's like, all right, come on, let's play it. So I got ready to start playing it, right? He's playing it on the keys, and I I, I freeze. I froze. I just could <laughs> yeah. not. Play! I like. I was like shaking, and he looks at me. He's like, "All right, can you play?" it? And I'm like, "I'm like, I can't. I, I can't." And he's just like, "Okay, let's back up. Who's your favorite bass player?" And I'm like, "Well, I like Jocko. I like Marcus. I like James Jamerson." And he's just like, "Okay." I kind of started rambling on. Yeah. He says, "Um, they're all great." But the one you need to really know about is Larry Graham. And I'm just like, yeah, I know I know Larry Graham. I know Larry. I know Larry. (laughs) That was all in my head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he's just like, so I I just want you to play that, that song because Larry played that song. Yeah. So I'm like, okay. He's like, now, if you weren't good at what you do, trust me, you wouldn't be here. I'm not asking you to be Larry. I'm not asking you to be Marcus. I'm asking you to be Nick West. Yeah. That's who you are. You should be able to do that. And I was like, oh, They make you feel more comfortable, yeah. Yeah, I'm like, I can do that. I can be Nick West. I'm not Larry Graham. I'm not Marcus. So we started playing the song, right? Right? Started playing it. And he's just like, okay, that's nice. Play it again. So I played it again. And he was just like, all right, give me your bass. <laughs> this was kind of like the same thing my dad used to do. Yeah. Give me your bass. Let me show <laughs> you how to play this your song. Dad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And yeah. so he grabs my bass and he's just like, I'm going to show you a variation. Let me show you how Larry did it. He has these really huge hands. Spades. Big hands. Yeah, yeah. And he takes my bass and he just goes... So he's he was playing just,
0: them sliding fists. Oh, my gosh. Yeah.
5: All of that. And he was like, I'm thinking, he's probably going to break my strings.
0: Oh, really? He was like really whacking it. Yeah, yeah.
5: Yes. And so he's just like, here, now you do it. And I'm just like, you want me to do it? I didn't say that. I just thought it really Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot, so, there there's it was a lot of that going on. There's a lot of that going on. And so I played it. And then we literally, I think we played that one song for like an hour.
0: Really? Yeah. Yes. Just working on the feel and just, yes. yeah.
5: Yes. So we play that song for an hour and then he leaves the room and he's like, yeah, just keep playing. And so he leaves and he comes back like 30 minutes. Yeah, yeah, just keep playing. I'm like, oh my God, you know, but just, just, just sitting there with him. He's so like getting you to work on it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Ju- yeah, and just sitting there with him really taught me something. First of all, how to dig in, how to really be aggressive on my bass yeah. and then how to, when you're playing the bass, it's not always about oh my gosh, I'm going to put this feel here. I'm going to feel every four bars. Yeah. It's like, just play the groove and play that same groove until, it, until it's like in you, until it's in the floors, until you get like, it's just, everybody's just stomping, foot yeah, stomping, yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I think that literally like turned a lot of what the way I was thinking around.
0: Just that one moment, yeah. That so one it moment. a bit of a life, one of them life-changing yeah. moments, yeah. yeah. Will you remember that forever, yeah? Yes.
5: Yeah. Playing that groove for an hour.
0: Yeah, yeah. Okay, this clip is from a great interview with Stefan Rettenbacker, who is based in London. He's actually an Austrian native, uh, but now resides in London, uh, providing low end for many a uh, top artist and just being an overall cool dude. So let's get into it.
6: As a, as a European, a continental European going on the States, first of all, you have to kind of deal with some somewhat of a culture shock because yeah. it's a very different society to ours. Uh, but then I got very quickly into it and really enjoyed it. Uh, and also what was really nice, uh, coming from a small country, eight million people, you go to the States, you go to Berkeley, at the time maybe 3,000 students, a third of them being Europeans, the other two thirds being Americans. Uh, so lots of people, Base department, I think at the time, four, 450 people. Okay, uh, Rich right, Appleman yeah. was the chair at the time now, Steve Bailey, as we you know, but- uh, Rich Appelman's still there, right,
0: isn't he? No, I think oh, he's he retired, right. Steve there? Bailey's yeah, right. taking
6: over. Um, and all of a sudden you come from austria you come from a fairly small place and then you see like other bassists european bassists from holland from germany from switzerland from italy and you go "Ooh, yeah well these guys can play <laughs> and then you get the american guys yeah and go like mm, all right lots of talent there on people from like far-fetched places like i don't know kirkistan like yeah, you know, yeah, yeah and you go Wow. These
0: guys guys can play as well. Do you know? Yeah.
6: yeah. So all all of a sudden you realize that you cannot become a a voice by competing technically. Because, you know, lots of people can, you know, hey, I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. I can do this. So you go, "Mm, okay, so how how can I get a kick? If you all can do the same. Yeah. And that made me really focus on... What I wanted to hear in my in my head because I started uh, And I, was Berkeley the start of that for you?
0: Was it was there a time you can think but when you went to Berkeley was that the realization that you were going to carve out your own? You well, know, your own
6: thing? you know, it, it, you know, I'd like to say yes, you know, like having this sort of ability to think that way I think a lot of us we we like to think we have the ability to think that way, but we actually don't but what actually happens is there's What I call natural magnetism. Yeah, what do you want to be? And what you should be, there is obviously, we like to think we are a master of our destiny and yeah, I think In we control don't. of it, yeah. I, yeah, I, I yeah, really yeah. think that whatever you're good, good at, it will draw you towards, yeah, to and yeah. then the people will reinforce it. Because if you're really rubbish and nobody ever wants to hire for a gig, there's no reinforcement. There's no yeah, positive yeah, yeah. reinforcement yeah, yeah. of what it, it is you should do. Because so No, I'm going to stick to my gun, I don't care. You could do that, but it would be silly. So if you get reinforcement, you understand, ah, yeah, maybe I'm good at this. And then you just keep on doing it, and then you open yourself up to understanding uh, w- what you should do. And for me, I realized that uh, that I always played bass and I always wrote. And, uh, and I always had certain positions in bands. Because yeah. Nick asked me from the bass magazine, he says that's so weird. You know, Steph, you trained as a session bass player, you've done so many sessions. Because I, I, I played in lots of different bands. I played in country bands. I played in soccer bands, I played in reggae bands, I played in soul bands, I played in rock bands, I played in metal bands. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I did all this stuff, but I, it was never, you know, I can do it, but I'm not, I'm not the side man type of guy. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I normally have too much to say and I get kicked out. <laughs> Shut up. Or they go like, oh, this guy is pretty blubbery. You're going to be the new MD now, you, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, well, or, is that, has that always been in you? You've always been like. It's always you know, been the yeah, same. Yeah. Always. First band immediately hijacked it became yeah, yeah. my band of course <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and then sometimes it doesn't work if i see it from my perspective now running sometimes really big large ensemble you want someone to come in to do the job i don't need your opinion thank you yeah, yeah you yeah, know what yeah, i mean yeah. i need yeah. you to do what i hired you to do yeah, and i yeah, see yeah. myself in that sometimes people hired me to do something and i did a lot more <laughs> it was actually not needed i was even working in the um you know, that's funny, because you know Mike Dolmere, who runs the Dolbe Drums? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. was with him in the New London Theatre for six months. We did like, really? yeah, yeah, we were playing like, you know, we were sitting in the talk of, what's called talk of town or talk of London. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah, We did this for six, six months and I was playing bass and every night, you know, and a good gig, you know, like I paid well, it was fine. I just came to Britain 20 years ago, but I thought, yeah, I think it's probably not going to be my way. Yeah. It's not going to be my way. I think I can't. I can handle it. I can't. No, I can't <laughs> play my play girl one more, yeah. more time. Although I love yeah, my girl, yeah, yeah, but yeah, yeah. so you know, I was always and people always go, hey, was, Steph, your music is pretty niche market and pretty crazy. And isn't that, is that a sensible thing to do?" I go like, probably not. But all I can tell you is that I must do it. Yeah, There's yeah, a dark voice. Yeah. Keep continue writing weird jazz. <laughs>
0: Okay guys, this next interview is with the one and only Ricky Minor. And meeting Ricky was a it was just a real honour for me. He's been one of my heroes for a long time and just getting to hang out with him at his studio was just an absolute dream come true. After the interview, we got to hang out and play on all of these basses that have just, you know, have recorded stuff like I Will Always, Always Love You by Whitney Houston. I played that Ken Smith that he did that track on. It was just absolutely amazing. And Ricky absolutely delivered as well. So let's get into it.
7: But it's interesting because you realize that we're all making music and our contribution is different, you know? So I played on a song and I didn't know one of the things that happened to me is that you have to learn, uh, the, learn the room. You know, sure, because sure. you're young. Don't try to prove that you can do everything or that you know everything. Yeah. So I I work with Gladys. I know her. Yeah. And the band, the guys in the session was you know James Gadsden, uh, Tim May. I mean all these great players. Paul Jackson Jr. Right, yeah, yeah. All these guys are on the record on the session. These and uh, there was a part that starts slow. A little rebuttal thing, and then she sings a, a line. She says uh, this line: "Waiting for love, outside." And when she says "outside," the band comes in. Boom. it's "Waiting for love, outside." Doom, do go, doom, don't." And now we're in. Yeah, yeah. So it never came together. So I figured, look, I'm, I'm. Well, I'll speak up. And I said, well, I, I you know, I know, I, I, know where she, where she wants to yeah. come in. She said, oh, great, great. Ricky knows, you know, just follow Ricky. Was this your first introduction into being an MD? I mean, director? I wasn't MD. No, I was just, I was just, I was just in the band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I wasn't the music director for the guys. Yeah. I was just in the band, and I was just, you know, this kid just trying to figure things out. Yeah. And so, and and I was already sub. I was a sub bass player. I was not <laughs> even like the the first call. I was the sub. Yeah. And uh, I remember saying to the guys. Uh, so she sings the part, and I'm ready. Like, I got, you know... And the whole session, I was there the whole day. It was a triple date. The first two sessions, uh, you know, uh, Nathan did. Yeah. And so I'm watching everything he does. I mean, I... Like a hawk. I mean, he... You're like if, learning yeah, from him. The, yeah, 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 yeah. he's playing. I mean, if he scratched his head, I said, well, maybe I should scratch at that same point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Right, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, whatever he did. Yeah. If, he, if he checked his tuning, every <laughs> every song, before the takeout, the take, okay, I got that. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do. do that, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. Uh, so. Here comes that line. I got it. I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm like sitting at the edge of my seat. And here comes that line. She sings it. And I, I got the guys. It comes waiting for love outside. I come in. No one else comes in. She's, and then Gladys says, Ricky, I thought you said you knew where it was. Now, now I'm like, okay. So I get it now. Don't come in and try. We were going and I had the night session. We were going into twilight time. Okay. It was almost midnight. Don't come in and try to be a hero and produce the record. You're not the producer. Yeah. Do your job. Stay in your lane. That was my lesson. Stay in your lane.
0: Is this one of these kind of memories that gets burned into your memory? Oh, no. It it gets burned.
7: Because you know that let everyone do their job. You're not the drummer. Don't don't come on a gig and try to tell the drummer what to play. You're not the producer. Yeah. You're not the songwriter. You're the bass player. Play the best bass. If they ask you That's one thing, but don't volunteer that you know everything (laughs) because everyone's got an opinion in this room Yeah. and these guys have played on a million records. You think they know how to fix it too, but they weren't going to try to produce the record. That's not their job.
0: Yeah, they were just there to do a role. Do your job. Stay in your lane. Yeah, I like that. Stay in your lane. I'm going to remember that. Uh, So what happened after Gladys? I, uh, when, when do when do when do you feel like you got you started getting hired for you? When did the you know when did you stop looking at Nathan and and you know and thinking you know I'm going to be well maybe that you know maybe we still do that I do it for you know with my friends I'm always keeping an eye on what they're doing, but when do you feel like you know when did you feel comfortable and think right I'm now getting hired for for me?
7: Last week. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I I don't know you know listen they're. they're there are a million options. You know, you go to a grocery store and, you know, you want some cereal. I mean, there's like 10,000 of them. So yeah, yeah, yeah. you yeah. could feel like this one one day and this another day. My story about about the continue to show you where that took me yeah. is, so I played on, on that record. And when the song, when the, when the album came out, I heard it on the radio. I was like, Thou, those are my parts, but that's not me playing. Oh really? So Nathan had overdubbed my part, played the part I played. Okay. But overdubbed. So, and then, shortly after that, I got called in to play on a session, and Nathan had played, but they wanted to overdub, wanted me to play it. Yeah. So uh, the point is, is that everyone's going to play these same twelve notes, and it may feel different sonically. It may be a different sound. The the drums and the bass have to lock in a different way, and you look at the Stevie yeah, Dan yeah, records yeah. where you know on and some of the records you have the the, the kick drum was one guy, the yeah. hi hat was another, you yeah. know, or, or and 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 you have different takes, and you know because you're trying to create a moment, yeah, and so the producer may not be may not get it from you even at your best work, so it's not really personal. So yeah. I think that I I I feel like. I enjoy playing, and hopefully what I do adds to, because my job is to add value to what you're doing. Yeah, 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 And I might not be the right guy, and I'm okay with that, you know? Okay, next up is the one and only
0: Guy Pratt, who has played with everybody from Pink Floyd, obviously with David Gilmore, right through to Madonna, and everybody in between. Um, again, absolute top bloke and a great interview. Let's get into it. What was record- What was the Madonna recording like? That was brilliant. Who was the band for that?
8: Um, it was, um, uh, Sugarfoot Moffat, Jonathan Moffat, yeah, Bruce Gage. Um... Pat Leonard on keyboards. Because
0: it's a, like a, a legendary album. Like, I have to say, I'm a huge Madonna. Like, that era. That, I, yeah, I yeah. love them tunes. I think they're just, like, really, really... They are, and it was so music. Really I mean, well-written so tunes. complicated.
8: Yeah. There's funny thing of when you learn the mu- music, you sit down with the chords and stuff, you go through it, and you go, what? And there's always bars of two, and, so, and then Yeah, they're and really well-written, that doesn't really make sense. But as soon as someone starts singing,
0: it just goes, shunk. Yeah, the melodies have put it, it all together. It sounds like yeah. a three
8: chord thing, you know. Yeah. it's not. There's a bit so of much
0: stuff, to, you know. That, yeah, exactly. The melody kind of pulls exactly. it all together. Well, yeah, right? yeah.
8: It's, it was. It's like. Um. It's like those IKEA bookshelves that you have to put books on for it to stand up. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. And the melody, of the books. Right?
8: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. So what, like, when you were recording the album,
8: did that album, it was all did you live it band was be? It no, was all live I mean, band. Yeah. It was all live band, except for "Like a Prayer," which I actually couldn't even remember doing. Really? I think it was one of those ones where I was just mucking about and you just just think, Well yeah, there's no way they're gonna keep
0: it d- Just took some stuff and then that yeah. was in the record, yeah. And did did,
8: did, Loud, you, did and the, this is the this was the age of MTV, of course, and she had this incredibly controversial video featuring a black Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Which lost her, her Pepsi sponsorship Really? Everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was a I really remember big the deal. Advert, yeah. Really big deal. And it's um but the funny thing is but of course most back then most people knew Pop hits through the TV. Yeah. You know, everything you just watched the stuff on MTV. Yeah. And uh, what was great was because of the way it was mixed, I was louder than her. <laughs> 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 on a tape. T- not on a stereo, on a TV really through, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. That was actually really honking through like yeah, yeah, yeah. But none opera. of you
0: knew that it was gonna be a you know No, I mean well, it was gonna be a hit, but yeah, yeah I didn't know. But it but but wasn't it was... gonna be iconic, yeah. yeah. And what what about the Michael Jackson thing? What was that like? Well that was just bizarre because he
8: was never that well, he, he was never there. And they kept saying, well, you like this, and you didn't like that, come back tomorrow. And so the last time I came in, there was this new engineer who was this sort of giant Samoan bodyguard-type bloke. And Michael Jackson was actually hiding behind the mixing desk, telling this guy what to tell me. And we all had to pretend he wasn't there.
0: Really? Yeah. So, so I never met super super him, but I was experience. in the same
8: room. <laughs> yeah, yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> super <laughs> bizarre experience. Did you ever think about moving to L.A.?
8: Well, I sort of did. I mean, I was—I lived there for two years. At my, although I didn't. I just went there to do. The yeah, Madonna that's officially record. living there. And yeah. I, every t- yeah, every time I was about to get on a plane, it's like, actually, can you do this one? Actually, can you do this? Actually, so and then I'd go out on tour with Floyd, and then I'd just go back to LA because I had something else to do. Yeah. And um, but it was one of those weird experiences. When it was yeah weird because I was I was working with all those. So you know, guys whose names I knew from Steely Dan records, you know, like proper grown-ups. They were yeah, yeah, book, yeah. They were, whereas you know, the difference being those guys. I mean, they're all sort of super jazz players and everything, and kind of they got a ceiling of ability which is about here. But where they're playing in pop music is about here. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah, yeah. Whereas yeah. that's my ceiling. I mean, that's as far, you know, my whole thing was like, please don't. I've got nothing how above did you, that. How <laughs>
0: did you get your chops? Like, how did you get it together? Know. I was it just.
8: I, mean, I still can't read in a yeah. zillion
0: bands. Is that what it was?
8: Yeah. Yeah. And even though, because I was thinking about this, about like when, when um, youth and I started playing together, how we started this band and it never occurred to us to learn other people's songs, yeah. even though we could barely play. It was like, well, you obviously make your own stuff up. Yeah. Obviously. And that's what and, and then I remember I, I then had this, when I, you know, all the years I spent in my bedroom, I mean, I did just play all day, every day. I was yeah. just absolutely focused on it. But I don't know what I was doing. I can never remember what I was doing because I wasn't practicing scales or anything like that. And I really don't know what I did. My, what I really don't. Know is when I learned slaps, like, what did that happen? Yeah, <laughs> but, yeah. Um, but uh, I was really yeah. The other thing, I had this really stupid idea. It's classic teenage thing, which is that you don't learn other, you don't learn basslines from other songs because then then you'll just you don't have a style. You know, you'll just you'll get your style from other people. It's like, well, no, you <laughs> need to be original. You actually yeah, just yeah, want, yeah. know how to play anything. I mean, yeah, but yeah. what was interesting is a couple of years ago, I came across some a uh, live tape of my first ever band. It's band speedball, it's yeah. Band South End, and obviously, and the, the playing is kind of, I mean, it's it's all with a pick. I mean, but what's extraordinary? There's all sorts of stuff I do, which is technically really correct, and they're chops that I didn't know. It's like there's theory stuff that I'm yeah. still very basic, but it's theory stuff that I didn't know and hadn't practiced, which was obviously interesting, which I've kind of forgotten. It's kind of more correct than what I do now. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: yeah, do you know what yeah, I mean? yeah. And you
8: think how it's like? There's some sort of inherent thing i think you just look at it and
0: it just
8: yeah yeah there's a, you know there's it's um it's obviously like, like if you're meant to be a musician there's stuff that's naturally you know comes with the territory i yeah, guess yeah.
0: next up we've got the one and only christopher fatty hargreaves who um you know obviously fantastic bass player one of the hippest coolest bass guys on the london scene doing doing a lot of cool stuff with his bass that that regular bass players wouldn't think of as he uses a lot of effects but more than anything He's just one of my best mates. So here we go with Chris Hargreaves. And when did you At get the in- moment? Like when did you get into like creating the dub sounds?
9: When uh, I, I started on the keyboard, basically. You did? I can remember you getting a keyboard. It was like a Moog Rogue, yeah, which, uh, little one. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. so good. So I did that, and I was like, "There's got to be a way of translating this to to live."
0: i can remember you shedding your, your key
9: chops. Yeah, yeah yeah that was the vibe to, that was in to, leeds wasn't it yeah yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. i like, learned the logistics of how synths work yeah and i was like there's gotta be a way of then translating that but the problem was there just wasn't that many things around that could track very well yeah. you know a lot of them would be really glitchy yeah and when you're playing the dub sort of stuff because it's so loud the last thing you want is some like <laughs> massive glitch yeah. to come yeah, yeah, yeah. screaming through a pa so the best thing i used to be in this metal band in leeds called white boys for gay jesus nice they were, uh, they were a pretty, name. <laughs> very great name and um the guitar player from that bought a line six m9 and had a go on it after rehearsal yeah. one day and there was a synth setting. Bass is so smooth, tracked amazingly. I was like, Oh my god, I've got to get it It was the
0: guitar version, yeah.
9: Well yeah, it's just a guitar, I think it was mainly four yeah. guitars. So i basically always stuck with line six. Tracking's amazing and you can automate every single parameter with your feet, which is the main thing, creating lines and making them interesting. Yeah, yeah. You know, you gotta be able to playing wise, well, a lot of the the electronic stuff is so simple, but it's like creating, you know, modulating the stuff while you're playing which you can do with your feet so being able to manipulate the sounds while you're playing with your feet is the one
0: yeah yeah
9: because i i think what's really interesting about you man is that there was nobody
0: doing it when you started doing it you know so there was actually nobody to copy
9: yeah, yeah, just kind of
0: messed up. You know around. what I mean? There's actually nobody to be like, oh, because it's it's super. You know, I mean, in, I'm into sort of like R and D instead of research and development. I'm like rip off and duplicate. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, just you know, if you want to get that sound, just like go after that sound. sample. For you, there wasn't any. You
9: were like listening to keys players or programming, and then trying and to then take translating that it to the to the beats.
0: Yeah, yeah. That was that like a massive learning curve?
9: It was, yeah. And the best bit about it was in Submotion Orchestra. The producer is called Dom. His rock spins is producing yeah and he basically he writes incredible like cinematic kind of dubstep electronic music basically and he basically just taught like i was like how does that make that sound and he's like oh well that's i split the signal i put parallel compression on this if i open up this filter it'll do this so i was like writing all these things down these like producing chops basically yeah, yeah, yeah. And i was like how am i gonna then do that on a pedal board and luckily because a lot of it that i found out is automation that's why the line six stuff's amazing because you can automate with your feet so instead of like obviously Drawing so crazy that, yeah. lines in pro tools or whatever you can just do do it with your feet you basically. can do it with your feet yeah. yeah yeah so i was like oh you open the cut off here if you get it to this point you add this amount of reverb once that opens out you know and and like learning and then moving moving things about Obviously, like the way you put it in the chains, the chain of everything's is quite yeah. important as well. How long did it take you to get that like
0: developed? Do you know, so you could be like, I can do it, I'm confident with it. I'm going to go and sort of like work with this producer, I'm turning up with my stuff, and I know that I'm going to be able to, you know, do it. I'm going to, yeah, I'm going to be able uh-huh. to do this. Uh, it it
9: like was months? a good couple of years, like, years, yeah. Yeah, yeah because. Because a lot of the stuff I still didn't know how to do. It's it's the same as shedding, if you're working on chops or whatever, it's the same thing as building up this palette of sounds. So someone goes, you know, when I first started, I'd go in, say, with a drum and bass producer be like, can you play as a Reese? You know, And I was like, oh, how do you do that? And then (laughs) you research it and you find out that it's actually... Two oscillators, you detune them slightly by the same amount, creates a natural blah blah blah, you know, and then How you are you
0: finding w- out stuff like that? Just search on the internet. Yeah, or yeah.
9: asking producers, that was a thing, it was like it was like a totally separate thing to like at the musician side of things you it's know, like it a like, different instrument yeah basically it's yeah. like
0: sort of like you are getting the bass and you're hooking up with this other instrument yeah, to create sort of something, like a, completely, something different. completely different yeah, yeah 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 so it was a couple of years before you sort of like got you felt really comfortable with it
9: yeah and i knew i could go into a situation they'd be like can you give me this this and this and this and i'd be like yeah i could yeah, dial it yeah. up because i had x amount of patches that i could just go back to maybe manipulate a little bit so it'd suit the track yeah and yeah, then yeah. but then you have this you know and what we what was your sort of like platform of, of getting all that stuff out
0: was it submotion was that the kind of yeah yeah because obviously like when like if you think about it like imagine this is like all the stuff that we talk about imagine if it was like an instrument you kind of have to use the instrument to sort of like get your chops together so yeah. did you get your chops together doing all that stuff with submotion
9: yeah basically yeah. yeah yeah and listening to that sort of music religiously as well and going to the raves and seeing what went down well you know you could go to subdub or vagabonds and these nights that were happening yeah and you know you I'd, I'd be i i'd be a geek i'd be sat there soaking it up and being like everyone's gone mental because of that drop how come that happens with that and it would yeah, you yeah. actually analyze well, obviously i'd have a good well, time in the well. tracks. Say again?
0: Were you sa- yeah? Were you finding the tracks that they were playing?
9: Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I just like soak up that scene because yeah, you were having a good time at the same time. Oh, amazing! Yeah, you were great. Like, you scene. didn't have a notepad. No, no, no not like that. <laughs> <laughs> but, come, yeah. da- come and dance! Yeah, no, no, yeah, no, 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 I need no, no. To no. find out how he opens his office later on. This sort of <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't like that, but but it was still good. You know, it was like certain things. I'd be like, I just get to know how. But you know, certain things would work because it can be the most simplest thing as well. Yeah, yeah, it would work.
0: Okay, next up we've got Jerry Meehan, who we hooked up down in London with. Uh, he runs a really fantastic studio down there. Some of the biggest acts in the world have recorded there. And ov- obviously he's also a bass player and has toured the world doing so. So, let's get into it. What was your rig that you were playing with on that tour? Was it the P-Bass? And- yeah, that's the P-Bass 62 mainly. I'll just, I've got a few- I'll just show
10: everybody this. it a P P bass few, but that's already. me. That's my main one. Yeah. Uh, he's been gigged a little bit,
0: you know. Yeah. A bit of wear on the... Uh,
10: <laughs> the old finish, yeah. No, it's be- it's beautiful, and then you know, thick strings, big old sound. I think, yeah, Ashdown, uh, look after me. It's a big Ashdown rig, and I've got a vintage sort of pedal board with a switcher system. I'm made by who? The blue ones, the what are those midis Gig rig, gig rig, yeah. gig rig. I mean, which yeah, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And also on the tour, we had to go out 100 feet on this head on fire, spitting at the audience. You know, on which was a stage with a sort of track on it yeah, yeah so it yeah. was wireless and then effects had to be triggered midi from my tech at the back you know so, like he, so was, he was doing all he the, was doing the, the effects, tap dancing yeah. yeah 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 which is well you know you come back and you do it because it's yeah. <laughs> a bit late a bit <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But um no it, it's, it, it works great that and what the, kind and of effects do you have to use for a gig like that i've got i've got three i've got two sans amps old and new i've got a rat bass i've got a flanger i've got one Delay, I've got Moogafuga, I've got a wah pedal, <clears throat> I've got the uh, Akai synth bass. Oh, Deep Impact. Yeah, no, it's called yeah, yeah, deep mega impact. for certain yeah, yeah, things, yeah. you know. Um, Octava. IC3, you know, and is it quite is... full on? Is it, everything, Has everything got something going on Yeah, it? subtle. I mean, my main sound with that live is with that, my, my old Sands app, the old switchable one, which just has this crunch and edgy, rocky sound. And it works yeah. well with the Ashdown stuff. <clears> or <throat> flat. I mean, but not. I you know really thin it out so there's not too much. But I you know a gig like that you know i yeah. DJ with the octaver in or a bit of the synth, but you know it just that's yeah it sounds mega. Yeah
0: yeah yeah. Tell the guys about the upright thing because you were just telling me about it earlier. And yeah it was well amazing.
10: I mean well yeah, it's yeah so yeah, yeah I kind of a nice situation. But I was I was with Rob and he said it was to, uh, 2011. We just finished the tour. I was gathering next year it was going to be a swing year. You know Rob was yeah. coming back doing the swing album with Guy. He goes, yeah, Jay, you you play double bass, don't you? You got, yeah, is it? Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> never played in my life, I had utmost respect for double bass, utmost respect, never played, knew how hard it was going to be yeah. and then realised I had six weeks to learn the thing and the first gig was uh, at the Palladium, live on DVD, live on BBC and everything, first ever gig on my double bass. who got that DVD. Really? I, I watched it live. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched it once, I thought, F- got away with that. But yeah, no, yeah. I, I got a double carpal tunnel since then because I did about eight hours a day practice to get to, you know, to, get and and to that. So you had Skype six and... weeks to actually yeah, get your chops together. Yeah. Like, i well, never play one note on the double bass, I promise you, not one note. And what were you like how, <laughs> what were you practicing to get
0: it together? St. Walking line. Yeah. Really so like classical
10: line there, yeah. Yeah, I was, I was trying to just go back really basically and just focus really just on the sound and just on the intonation and with my mate Kristen Capence who's been a mate since we were eleven. Yeah. Weirdly. And suddenly we we're on Skype together and he's a mega. He plays with till Brunner and top producer, top respect, you know, lo- lovely great musician and he's you know so he gave me three hours skype lessons you know really really helped but i mean in the middle of it i I nearly rang rob and said i was gonna say mate i think you better you know and then they found out i had to couple tunnel before the tour so they were really so you did that gig and that was before the had an operation six weeks after that had been cut open yeah then went and did the tour (laughs)
0: Okay, next up we've got Simon Little, who is the bass player for one of my favourite bands ever, The Divine Comedy. He was cool enough to come and hang out here at SBL Towers and give us the whole lowdown about what he was doing, the writing process with The Divine Comedy and everything in between. Let's get into it.
11: My first gig was, well, they they asked me to do this gig and it was like, what's the gig? And I was like, oh, it's at Old Trafford, um, supporting David Bowie. And I was like, (laughs) okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right then. So yeah, yeah that yeah. was my first gig. That was my audition. Oh, that was the audition gig, yeah. Pretty much. We had one day's rehearsal and then we went and supported David Bowie. Wow, fantastic. And I was like, all right, on the double bass. I'll at the cricket ground, road, not the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, was, uh, it was big enough.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it's the biggest huge.
11: gig I'd ever done. That's amazing. On the double bass. What was it like doing... It.
0: I was going to say, what was it like going from... Um, <laughs> Like, you know, playing small jazz trio, piano yeah. trio, to huge gig with having to deal with an upright and feedback and all of good. those. It was good. <laughs> I was
11: like, Wow, this is Took more like, it like it, a man. It. Yeah. This is more like it. These
0: are the type of problems oh, I like.
11: I
9: could get used to this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah i sort yeah. the feedback out later. Yeah,
11: yeah. yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, was there any kind of learning curve with it, or oh, was it just like, no, no, nah, no, straight no, in? No, because, you know, I've, I've gone from playing some really, really complicated music to playing some really sort of solid laid out, yeah. you know, this is how it goes, and you play it like that music, Yeah, yeah. which is great, you know, it's fine, and musically then- it was... It was- Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: And and from then, like what albums did they done like like were you recording the bass on the albums when you did that? Was it that type of affair? Or did Neil, who anybody that doesn't know the Divine Comedy, Neil's the guy behind that Divine Comedy who does all the writing, was did he record it and then you guys took it out live? And and uh, did you guys do
11: any writing with him? No, we didn't do no. any writing. No. So it was all pre done? Yeah. Yeah. There was there was one there was one we had like a week of sort of demoing mm some stuff and that was really fun. We just went into like a little tiny studio in East London and we just, he had like some sort of sketches of songs and we, you know, and I, and I wrote some parts for them, you know, came up with some bits and bobs and it was great actually. Um, but then nothing really happened for ages. Then he recorded absent friends and he played the because he can play the bass perfectly well. Yeah. Um, so he recorded all the bass himself on that one, apart from one song where I played a bit of upright and then beyond that, I played the bass on everything. Yeah. Um, but he writes the parts. I really don't have any input.
0: Yeah, I was going to say. Really. Like, I'm trying to think of sort of like some tune. They're they're, they're quite specific, bass. They're parts, very they? specific.
11: they you know a lot. It's of not kind of
0: like c, c jam. No, but
11: <laughs> yeah, they're really like they are really very specific parts, and a lot of the songs hinge on the bass. Yeah, you know, and it's it's, it's like it's kind really of motif, aren't they? Yeah. yeah, I mean, I've learned a lot from sort of learning his bass parts because they're actually really interesting. You know, if you. Some of the some of the bass parts for his songs sound really they sound really simple, but they're not actually. Yeah. You know, like you, there's a lot of things in this, A lot of his songs just have crotchets, sort of pumping all the way through, like dum 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 yeah. dum, dum, dum dum. You know, or 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 just quavers, literally just. Do, do, you yeah, know, and then it's, it's one of the two, and 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 just seeing how he sort of develops a line. You know, it's, it's, it's like, it, he does it as if, you know, like a, like a, a bass player would, where you, you know, if you've got like a groove, you've got to play over and over again, you know, mm-hmm. for however long it's going to be. Yeah. And you'll put little variations into it. That's what he does, but it's built into, it's built in at such a level that it's part of the songwriting. Yeah. Do you yeah, know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. yeah so yeah. like, there's a lot of songs of his that sound very simple and it sounds like a very repetitive line, but actually, if, it, if there's like three or four verses, you know, at some point, each of those those lines is completely different. Like the end of each verse will be completely different. Yeah. And it, and it it makes the song go somewhere different at the end of each one.
0: Okay. Last up last, but certainly not least, we've got the amazing Paul Turner, who it was an absolute honor to hang out with. Paul's obviously the bass player for Jumeri Why and has played with, you know, a a multitude of artists like Andy Lennox, for instance, real heavyweight player. And on top of that, he's such a sweet and cool guy. Um, it was just a real honour to hang out with him. So here it is, rounding it up with the one and only Paul Turner. Based I can community. remember when you got the gig. I can remember thinking, Phew. "Wow, <laughs> <laughs> not heavy to get that. Not like obviously a great gig, but just in terms of like, you need to do a great job. Yeah, you know, you need to do a f- I really fantastic of, yeah, you job. you
12: realise that." Um, the spotlight is on. Yeah. You know, and, and the, and there's an expectancy there, yeah. which I was used to the spotlight being on. And I was used to kind of doing a, you know, Hyde Park with Annie or something like yeah. that, or doing the the TV show, you know, Good Morning USA or something like yeah, that. Yeah. And kind of doing those things, but not in the same way, not with the same focus. Yeah. Um. so that was it. That was a, a different feeling. And, there's then, there's the hardcore fan thing. Yeah. There's that thing of being accepted, not by necessarily the bass playing community, but the, the Jumarquai fan base. Yeah. Which and, is ginormous. Which is ginormous yeah. and and very passionate. And you kind of, you know, I just kind of thought the only way I'm going to win them over is to win them over. Yeah. By, by in performances. Making it feel good. So that's, that's kind of, yeah. I, and I kind of think, I like to think that, that that did happen. But, you know, I know that there was, there was animosity. Initially, yeah, yeah. From fan,
0: you know. Did you feel like there would be only when you went into it? Was it kind of like? Did you know? Did you think? I know that some people would be like, "Oh, I'm not sure," you know. um, Or was it a surprise? I think parts of it was were a surprise. Yeah, you're like, wow, these guys are really passionate about this. What did
12: happen? I remember we on the very first run of gigs, which was in 2005, around about May 2005. So we'd done some things like in Japan. We'd done a couple of big. kind of T V gigs and we'd done a couple of things for um like uh broadcast in studios from Olympia and stuff like that. Yeah. But we went and did some 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 big festivals and we did a thing in Croatia and we did this at Roman Amphitheatre and the floor is is um little stones, little pebbles. Oh yeah. And I remember walking out and for the first half an hour I was getting pelted by little stones.
9: Really?
0: That's evil, isn't it? That's evil. Man. So, and and I'm kind of
12: there's, there's two. No, I wouldn't say there's two sides of me like trying to sound like kind of schizophrenic, but um, <laughs> I liked I like to think of myself, and I'm you know I don't I don't really want to fall out with anybody, but there is a side of me that yeah will only take so what, so only much pick
0: up and start throwing yeah, them back yeah, oh, yeah yeah yeah
12: yeah yeah. And yeah. so um, I was kind of like yeah, it kind of made me feel like okay then. Yeah, yeah. If I see yeah. anybody who's going to do that, yeah, I'm going to be down there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're going to be eating those stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not always like that. But you know, I know it's yeah. totally human to be from like, like at the Yeah. You're yeah, from
0: Sunderland, mate. Yeah. Um, but um,
12: there was those kinds of moments. But I still like to think at the end of the at the end of the gig, I remember it still kind of went great. And when the introduction out, you know, it was yeah, all still yeah, the, yeah, yeah. So I think you just kind of got a battle through. It's it, it's character building yeah it was character building
0: and when did you feel like it was your gig like this yeah I've got my yeah um, I'm in there you know well Jay kind of made me feel like it was my
12: gig and that's, as, the, as the rest of the, the lads did uh, and I still kind of just remember thinking this is great I've made the tour yeah I'm doing the tour um, we'll and how, how many tours doing.
0: did you do with them well
12: it's I mean we've got a new album coming out yeah I know um, well that that one started so it's, it's uh, it was like March 2005 when I joined so um so it's like eleven years ago, and we did the. I, I came straight in for the Dynamite tour, and that was quite a long tour. So it yeah. was like two years. Wow. You know, broken up. Wow, yeah. Um, and then then he took quite a bit of time out, which I managed to do an Annie Lennox tour in, in the States, slotted one in, yeah. which slotted out in really nicely. <laughs> and then um, and then we did the recording for the greatest hits which I remember then thinking, that's another moment, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm still here for the, for the recordings. That's when we recorded Runaway and um, a tune called Radio, which was... Yeah. The, was Runaway's like, yeah. One of, of the... Uh, high Times, the, the, y- the yeah, greatest yeah, hits album.
0: Yeah, yeah, run Runaway's one of the coolest bass lines out of the Jameri yeah. Quiet, you know, back catalogue, isn't it? It, it is, was, yeah.
12: well, I, it was, that was, a, what was nice was, I mean, Jay pretty much had that line. Yeah. Um, and then he just said, and he, he wanted this kind of rhythm for the chorus, you know, like, he wanted that for the chorus, dun, dun, you, and, dun, dun, said, dun, and just do some kind of cheeky kind of stuff. Yeah, and um, and so I kind of I remember doing one um, pass of the of the line, and I kind of you know tried to embellish it as it went on. And he just went now, just just kind of the same, the same, almost like a loop. Yeah, just yeah, yeah. the same all the way
9: through.
0: <laughs> so yeah, yeah, and the
12: chorus being the only time that it kind of strayed from that. Yeah.
0: Okay guys, hopefully you enjoyed that episode of the SBL podcast and here's what I want you to do next. If you haven't checked out all the other episodes of the SBL podcast, simply go to scottsbasslessons.com, navigate to the podcast in the top header and you'll be able to find, yes, 49 other episodes there because obviously this is episode 50. And while you're there as well, make sure you check out the Academy. It is the number one online bass school in the world right now. We've got step-by-step courses, bass lessons with some of the best bass educators on the planet, an amazing community, the full nine yards, and you can grab a completely free 14-day trial as well. So if you go to scottsbassessons.com, get yourself hooked up with all of it, and hopefully I'll see you next time in the shed. 2015 Kickstarter Challenge. Hey,
7: everybody. Hey. Hey, everybody. Hi, everybody. Hello, all. Hello.